I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We made it through. (laughs) Yeah, McDuff tried to steal my line, so he was trying to get a meow in there to say, hi, I'm here. When the intro is hard. (laughs) This is is gonna be a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um... We are discussing detectives. Do we have any news? We don't have any news. I don't think so. The only thing I was going to say was I had a book suggestion because, um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, (laughs) I say a lot, like we have a lot. I don't know. All five of you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm sure they've read it because it was a Pulitzer Prize winning book, but I just read The Nickel Boys, which is based on the Dozier school the um Lori's story from episode two and I wanted to read it initially because I'm like this sounds a lot like that story and I'm just kind of interested in it okay so and um then I read that the author yeah he did base it off of that um he changed of course the characters um his he he focuses on um a a young black teenager who is there and so it's more from like the black kids perspective um which is arguably way worse of course than the white kids experience um but the very first thing that they talk and 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 he doesn't call it the dozier school in the book that's why you have the name the nickel boys because Mm -hmm. um it's called the nickel school um but he does use the word white house as the place where they get sent to get beaten or worse um and the this very beginning of the book is is a crew of archaeologists finding the mass grave basically or the grave of all the different kids um it's a wonderful book i mean obviously it's a pulitzer prize but it's also um it, it can be a tough read and if the ending doesn't just break your heart then you don't have a soul so it is it is so good but it's really sad so that's my only news for the week is just hey go read the nickel boys if you were interested in Lori Lou's story yeah I, and I want to shout out Alicia who sent us an email um, just telling us you know that she's she's listening she's from Jackson Mississippi so hi Alicia thank you for hi. reaching out hello yes. thank you for emailing us yeah yes yeah, we need more people emailing us and leaving us reviews and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. Yes. So, okay, are we ready to jump into our detectives? I think we are. I Sheena? Am. Yes. Sheena. I'm going first because um, Lori and Hannah have stories that are related. Yes. So we're going to get mine out of the way first. Um, my lady, her, her time frame is way before y'all's. Um, which I didn't realize. I thought y'all's story way took place. after. What did I say? Before. Way before. Lord, y'all. <laughs> I need more Diet Coke. <laughs> we what, said we were having that, a rough week. <laughs> why is it that I always get so, and I don't know that I have it, but so dyslexic? Every time on this show, I say something backward. Anyway, gee whiz. Now my, my cat is staring at me. Anyway, okay. Um, so she's way after y'all's. I didn't realize y'all's took place so early on, but, um, I just, I've always sort of heard about this lady and thought she sounded cool. But when I dug into her more, I was really fascinated. And, um, 
So this is her story. My detective um, was never officially a detective, an investigator, or a medical examiner, but her work has inspired and educated generations of people in those fields. So I'm telling the story of Frances Glessner Lee, known as the mother of forensic science. Ooh, awesome. So picture it, Chicago. Why do we always go back to Chicago? Chicago or Memphis? Oh, man, man. this is going to be a Chicago-heavy episode. Absolutely. <laughs> it's weirdly not. It starts there, but then it ends in New Hampshire. Um, but there's a Mississippi connection oh, that blew great. my mind today, that I learned today, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is wild. Anyway, Chicago, 1878. Frances Glessner is born into a really wealthy family. She was the heiress to the international harvester fortune. And unless you are a farmer, you may not be familiar with that company. They make um, agricultural equipment like tractors and trucks and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, she and her brother were educated at home, but only her brother was allowed to continue his education. So he goes to Harvard big whoop i'm not impressed by that's some bullshit right there isn't it though (laughs) she thought so too um she was a really smart lady and she was interested in a lot of things um and i think she would have really excelled at college but those are the times yeah um and and too when you grow up growing up in this time period a lot of women are taught a lot of feminine or crafts that are considered feminine, like sewing, knitting, and embroidery. And all of this comes into play much later in her life. Um, One of her brother's classmates, George McGrath, was studying medicine at Harvard, and he was specifically interested in death investigations. And he would come home with her brother, and like they would talk about death investigations. (laughs) Like She thought that stuff was cool. She was an old school... um, true crime fan so I kind of I love that about her um and she also enjoyed detective stories like Sherlock Holmes um and you would think she would marry this guy I don't know why they didn't but they never got married instead she married a lawyer Blewett Harrison Lee what's that first name again Blewett B-L-E-W-E-T-T Ooh, okay. Just, just, <laughs> Hannah, I see you Googling. I have stories on him later in this, in the, in the story. We're going to think that he is not important. He's not important, generally speaking, but, but yeah. It means blue woolen cloth. Yeah, well, I can see that. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, he was, um, she was 19 years old when they got married. They had three kids, but generally speaking, it was a pretty unhappy marriage. They just didn't have a lot in common. And I mean, too, when you get married at 19, you know, sometimes those marriages work out, but a lot of times you don't, you just, you grow apart. And this was probably arranged. I wondered if it was. I don't know, but I wondered it. It's very, because that's when I, because Blewett, I looked and that is a surname. So it's likely that. And, you know, that's a tradition in some families is that you mm-hmm. give your kids the surname as their first name. Right. Um, we went to college with a few of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm thinking maybe in that, I mean, that's probably why they didn't send her to college because her role was to marry well. Yeah. Um, I think so. She was sorry, y'all. I'm trying to stop my cat from eating everything on my desk. Jeez. Don't worry, my dog is snoring gently in the background. So 
Yeah. Who didn't get enough of my asshole pets the last time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, so they were married. They they weren't a hundred percent happy. Um, they divorced though, after 16 years, only and 16 gosh yeah, yeah she put up with him for a while she right? really did it says i read somewhere that she left him twice so Damn. she held it out she tried oh. to make it work but eventually That's she was like not Bye. easy to do back in the day really either. not no yeah. no um and i think too that um her sort of you know women back at this point in their life don't have a lot of control over their own lives Mm -mm. they are put on this track to as you say get married not get an education pump out babies and you know what if that's what you want out of life that's great have at it but if you want something a little more and she did then this is very it feels like you're just kind of being shoved through life without right it's very restricting right and i feel like i feel like that this constricting lack of control and lack of decisions that you can make leads to something that she does later on in life that she had a hundred percent control over so we'll get to that in a bit Mm -hmm. she wrote in a letter at at the age of 73 she said this has been a lonely and rather terrifying life i've lived which i thought was a fascinating quote bless her heart yeah so we're at some point though I mean, not at some point. It was 1929. I know exactly what it was. We know the point. (laughs) Yeah. She was um, about 50 years old. She's divorced. Her kids are grown. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to pursue this kind of career that I've always wanted. She starts to kind of baby step her way into forensic medicine, which at the time was called legal medicine. Hmm. Um, I thought that was interesting. So at this point, too, she's also inherited her fortune from her uh, father. So she has the money to um, devote to these death investigations and to help others learn more about it, too. And let me tell you, money gets you anywhere. And I'm not I'm not saying that she bought her way in, but I'm saying she made it. It It helped make things easier. It helps. It's like if Stella got her groove back, but she was a goth in the 20s. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for it. I really, <laughs> she has a glow up in, in the second half of her life and, and she's her. failing herself and she is awesome. I'm going to go solve it. some murders. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, lady, like, I wish I could do the same thing. Uh-huh. So she endowed the Harvard Department of Legal Medicine in 1931. This is the first search, such department in the country, as well as the, as the George Burgess McGrath Library, named after her friend. Um, she endowed the Harvard Associates in Police Science, a national organization for forensic science. And they, um, to this day, have a division dedicated to her, the um, Francis Glessner Lee Homicide School. Awesome. Um, and I think this was really cool. She and McGrath, um, he was the chief medical examiner in Boston, and the two of them worked together to lobby to replace coroners with actual medical professionals. Oh. Because back then, and still to this day, in many places, oh. yeah, it's an elected position. It is an elected position. Yes. And I'm saying this as someone who takes issue with a coroner who said something about one of my family members. They don't know nothing. Right. They're elected. Right. They don't know nothing. Anyway, they don't even anyway. have to be doctors most of the no, time. No, not at all. No, no. no it's a popularity contest. No. Anyway, that's not always the case. And I'm not 
crapping on coroners out there. I'm just saying when it's an elected official, sometimes you just get the popular person. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what Frances Glessner Lee is really known for and where you really get a lot of her, um, uh, where, what she's famous for are her nutshell studies of unexplained death. She took something with, that was traditionally a feminine craft, which is creating miniatures and dollhouses, and used them to teach detectives and police officers how to better investigate crime scenes. So she is creating these throughout the 40s and 50s. Um, I think I've seen that she created anywhere from 20 to 18 of them. It just depends on what source you're looking at. These are very incredibly intricate dioramas, dollhouses, whatever you want to call them, of actual crime scenes. They have working doors, working windows, working lights. Um, the dioramas are actually lighted as the this crime scene itself would be, but you can use a flashlight as to see the evidence better, kind of the way a, a cop would back then, probably. Right. Um for example, there's one, um, I forget now what, I think it's just called Burn Cabin, where she had constructed a small wooden cabin and then she took a blowtorch to it to show how um, a murderer would set the fire to cover his tracks. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, oh, she wow. burned her own creation, which I thought was really cool. That's awesome. <laughs> um, the scenes are murder, suicides. I mean, you really... Some of these you, you truly don't know. Is it a murder or a suicide? Some, uh, some of them are pretty obviously a murder. Um, and they take place everywhere from a family home to the family garage to saloons, attics, cabins, barns. All of them are created to one inch to one foot scale. And really, these are meant to um, test the abilities of the students or detectives or whoever's looking at them to collect the relevant relevant evidence and not just relevant. And it's not just to solve the crime. It's to look at everything and decide what's relevant, what makes sense, all this I'll explain more. Okay. So she actually went to autopsies and crime scenes. Um, she would go on ride-alongs with the cops. Um, and everything in there worked. Y'all, you've got to, there are so many good documentaries on her work on YouTube. There are books, there are articles, there are so many pictures online. Go look them up. Because the tiny little details are, they will absolutely blow your mind. There is the kitchen utensils work. The mouse traps work. These tiny little mouse traps work. There's blood splatter. There are shit cigarette ashes. There are bloody footprints that the killer left at the scene. Um, there was one story about a woman who the last person who had seen her alive was the butcher who sold her like a pound of hamburger meat. And she has little flies on the hamburger meat because it's oh, been left out. Like, oh, wow. It, blows my mind all of the products in the house i mean even if you think it's not relevant to the crime there you know there's a bar of ivory soap sitting there and it has the ivory soap label on it um all 100 percent accurate there are calendars that are in there that have the correct dates or in one case i think it said the calendar hadn't been changed for a year which kind of told you that this person died in a I think I, I think it was kind of like a boarding house or something like that that no one cared for it and it was sort of a low down not really uh-huh, right. well kept place where they didn't change the calendar like it's just little things like that that you're like 
she thought this through. Right. Um, she even sewed the tiny clothes for her dolls. Um, they even wore underwear. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, my um, goodness. I mean, she made it as intricate and as detailed as possible. And what I think was really cool was while the these dollhouses, dioramas, whatever, are based on actual cases, um she completely made up the characters and all the decorations she wrote witness statements she wrote the police reports like she created the story that is depicted within this little dollhouse and so when you go look at them you see like there'll be a little like I don't know like piece of paper thing Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound right that explains what it is like it gives you enough clues to kind of give you some context right um it's just it's so cool and what I really thought was interesting was almost all of her victims are women which is so true because it really shows how domestic everyday life can be violent especially if you're a poor woman Mm -hmm. um she did also highlight a lot of poor communities because there can be a lot of violence in poor communities um which I just think was really you know for her to have not she grew up so wealthy. She could have easily made these all houses, little mansions, but she made them so true to life. Right. Um, and I, I don't think she was doing it in a judgy way. Like, Oh, only people who stay at these rundown boarding houses getting murdered. No, I think it's, no, they really do, you know, and it's right. And showing to the violence that's done to women. Um, she also created, um, as I said, she made all of her little court, and they there are accurate blood stains um there's blood splatter on the walls there's one that's pretty upsetting and Lori, we had just talked about this of it's a family that got murdered and there's blood splatter in the baby's nursery from where the baby died yeah like that's i think they said that's the one that's the biggest because most of them are just one room scenes but that's a three three room house and like the dad is dead on the floor the mom's dead in the bed and then the baby's dead it's really sad um she also um created them to the the little corpses to have bloating and discoloration based on how long they've been there so was she using photos i mean they didn't have photos at the time so what What was was the 40s well, yeah, it's the forties and fifties. So yeah, I think so. And I think too, she just went to a lot of autopsies okay. and crime scenes. So I think she knew what she was looking at. I mean, there's some that are a little gnarly. There's right. one that is, it looks like a suicide. I don't know if it's a suicide, but it's someone hanging and like their head is discolored and the rest of their body is not. Right. It's really cool. interesting. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, Cause uh, you know, nowadays as horrifying as it is, if you want to see crime scene photos yes. you can see crime scene yeah. photos but i mean getting access to that in the 40s i mean it, even the library wouldn't have that you would have to no. be in touch with the detectives and she was i will get to that okay um because <laughs> there were parties built around these things kind of sort of i'll get to oh lord kind of. um but what Look, i love it was a different that- time <laughs> it sounds like it would actually happen today i make it sound like it's a party it's a seminar but to me when you end when you end with a banquet at the ritz carlton i'm sorry that's a party to me yeah 
<laughs> so anyway, we've all been to those conventions. We know yes. we we have, and and it's I have not gotten out in a of year. Its day. <laughs> it was the crime con of its day, and look, I haven't gotten out in a year. So I would party with some detectives from the forties at a Ritz Carlton with some dollhouses of murder. Okay, <laughs> right? Let's do it. Um, but one thing I really liked that she did too was she made sure that some of the evidence was contradictory. So you would have to then really weigh your evidence. What, you know, what's more important than this and what speaks more to the the truth than this. And you have to rely on actual evidence rather than what you assume, or if you're biased towards someone yeah. or whatever, it's even really, cause she really thought it out so well. Um, each diorama by the, by the way, cost anywhere from three to $4,000 to make. Oh, as gosh. I said, she, they are, it blows my mind how intricate they are. Um, so there's an old saying, detective saying called that says, convict the guilty, clear the innocent and find the truth in a nutshell. And that's where sort of the name for these came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not so much again about solving the case, but excuse me, more about collecting relevant evidence, especially if it's medical related, because again, she was all about um, forensics. Um but yeah, so she had these semi, because again, she could, she had the money to host conferences and all of this. So she would showcase these dioramas at a semi-annual homicide investigation conference that she would host. Um, investigators, detectives, and prosecutors would attend, and they would study each scene for about 90 minutes to collect the evidence, and then they'd discuss it and all this. Um, and then afterwards, yes, they had a banquet at the Ritz-Carlton. I just love that. <laughs> um, so for her work, Frances was named an honorary captain in the New Hampshire State Police on October 27, 1943, making her the first woman to join the International Association of Chiefs of Police. She liked being called Captain Lee. I don't blame I like her. It. Too. Yeah. Hey, use my um, title. Yeah. So at some point she moved from Chicago, Chicago to New Hampshire. I never found when that happened, but it did. Yeah. Um, so she died at the age of 83 in 1962. Wow. She is buried at Maple Street Cemetery in Bethlehem, New Hampshire, near her daughter, Frances Lee Martin. Her parents are buried at Graceland in Chicago, Hannah. So you oh, can wow. see her, her parents. I'll have to check them out. And, and here's where our local angle comes from. This blew my mind. Blew my mind. Her husband um, blew it that she was married to for <laughs> yeah. 16 years and they never really liked each other. Is from Columbus, Mississippi. He's buried oh. at Friendship Cemetery in Columbus. Oh, His wow. father. What a place to be from. Oh, just wait. Just wait. Oh, His God. father was the founder and first president of the Mississippi Ag- Agricultural and Mechanical College, or as we know it today, Mississippi State University. Oh, oh good God. Jesus. Well, see, that explains that that why they got married because her dad was a big ag dude and then so was his dad so money and agriculture yeah and i as as three rebels i think we have to say a hearty (laughs) hotty toddy to this exactly and we have to balance out the karma here (laughs) my father is probably haunting me right now because he was a diehard state fan um he went to state and and he Oh my God, my dad. I mean, on on my dad's tombstone, like he didn't want father or yeah. son, brother on that. No, he just has a Mississippi State Bulldog on there. 
Oh my god. <laughs> okay, thanks, Dad. Love you too. I feel like that was one last like petty day. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so 70 years after their construction, these little dollhouses are still used for training. Oh, like they still use these things. That's awesome. They were recently on display at the Smithsonian's Renwick Gallery. Now they're housed at the Maryland Medical Examiner's Office. And what I thought was really cool is I, th- I think I get the impression that you can go to the medical examiner's yes, office to see because them. because one of um, I've been onboarding a lot with a bunch of different people at my job. And one of the ladies I was onboarding with, they actually went her and her sister were on a trip to Baltimore and they went and saw them. Apparently well, it's in a not great part of Baltimore. Um I can't imagine there's many good parts of Baltimore. Um, yeah, I don't know. But apparently she said it was amazing. So that was why I was like, where's the yeah. Maryland? Because I know they're in Baltimore. Yeah. And what I love too was I saw, no, I read a story. I'll link to it in the sources along with some documentaries on YouTube that I think if anyone wants to see them, they, oh my God, they're worth watching. They're so cool. Um, there's a guy, I think he is like the head guy at the chief, at the medical exam, examiner's office. He's the only person in the world with the quote unquote solutions to each of these. Oh, They're under lock and key. Um, but it was funny because he said one day some women who have been there, may have been the people you know, um, <laughs> came up to him and was like, we've got to know who killed so in, in this scene, like in this right. diorama, who was the murderer? And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you that's that's, you know part of the fun right yeah kind of and like you know we use it for training purposes so we don't want it out there to people already know and the woman looked at her friend and goes i know the husband did it (laughs) (laughs) murderinos just like we are um well that's i mean that's sort of like those for christmas this year or this past year rather um I got one of those like solve a murder oh, yeah. hits and me and my mom did it and we spent about like two or three hours on it and it was a fucking blast. I need to get one of those. Well, and it's it this whole time it reminded me of and it's been years since I've seen the episodes about it. But CSI CSI. Yeah, yes, I was about the, to mention the, that. I remember those murderer. episodes. They yes. based that character off of Francis Glessner Lee. Now, of course, the in, in CSI season seven, um, it's a fictional serial killer who creates miniatures of the crime scenes. Mm-hmm. Right. So this person on the show is bad, whereas Francis was good. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. I yep. distinctly remember those episodes. And they're yes, based on Francis. The fuck out. And if you want to know more about her, and I'm done, I promise, um, <laughs> I recommend the YouTube documentary, or at least it's a documentary on YouTube, called Of Dolls and Murder. And um, I've not read this, but I want to. Um, a biography of her by Bruce Goldfarb called 18 Tiny Deaths, The Untold Story of Francis Glessner Lee and the Invention of Modern Forensics. Awesome. That also came out last reminds year. me of a book that I read in probably like sixth or seventh grade and i think it was called like the dollhouse murders or something oh, yes. yeah that, I remember yes. that. and so i was just thinking of that yeah, yeah and that was the same thing except for it was like ghosts controlling the dolls but yes. it was still yeah. i remember being just you know we start young <laughs> we <laughs> did, do did we sure the do. gardener wasn't the gardener the killer 
It was okay. They thought it was like the husband's brother, but it was like a gardener or handyman or something mm-hmm. like that. I'll they, have to they, find that book. Well, there's a. They also did a. I think a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, based on the book. Because the girl's that sounds sister familiar. is um, special needs, and mm-hmm. yeah, things. That yeah, stuck mm-hmm. out to me. Man, I'm gonna have to go back and like read that or find that movie or something. Y'all yeah, just brought really back something YA I forgot books. about. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. All right, next we are heading up to Chicago. Shocker, we are. <laughs> we're going back to Chicago. Absolutely, it uh, all. I think everything goes back to Chicago. No, no seriously, does. Chicago and Graceland Cemetery. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's I can't help it. It's the greatest city in the world. Come at me. <laughs> so we've all heard the phrase "private eye." The concept of a pudgy man taking photos of cheating husbands from an inconspicuous sedan parked down the street is just part of our culture. But we'd have no Veronica Mars without Alan Pinkerton. You've heard of Alan. You've heard of the Pinkertons, and they still exist to this day, though they're a subsidiary of a company whose name I didn't bother to remember. But they all started, (laughs) it all started with Alan J. Pinkerton's birth in Scotland on October 25th, 1819, a Virgo, which explains a lot. Hey! And I do not know what the J stands for. I looked, I tried to find it, and I could not find it. So I think it's going to be like Homer Simpson, and it's J, J A Y. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. So Pinkerton was, he was a badass. Um, He had his faults. He was a complicated man. Um, He was a lifelong atheist, and he married his wife, Joan, who was a singer, on the sly in. 1842 so he would have been about 23 um while he was in scotland he was a member of the chartist movement which sought the right to vote for working class men along with secret balloting and other reforms so at this time in the united kingdom it was similar to how it was at the beginning of the united states where only land owning men could vote um of course they you know there are so at this point they were pushing for working class men, um, non-landowning men to be able to vote as well as secret ballots and stuff like that, um, that, you know, a lot of democratic institutions run into. So he was rabble rouser from, from a young age. Um, so the same year that he married Joan, he moved to the U S um, he would send for Joan later once he got his house set up. So he seemed to be a decent husband too, which I appreciated a man. Mm-hmm. I mean, not for myself, but good for you, Joan. <laughs> uh, Pinkerton settled in Chicago and worked as a barrel maker, um, which is also called a cooper. So if you know anyone with that last name, there's likely a barrel maker somewhere in their lineage. Um, there's, It's like there's a couple of other names that are like uh, old timey, you know, uh, careers. So, Mm -hmm. but Cooper is one of my favorites. Um, At the time, he was also heavily involved in the abolitionist movement and his cabin in Dundee Township, uh, which is a suburb now, was an active safe house on the Underground Railroad. So we're like, nice. Yes. 
His life of crime fighting, though, began when he was scouting in the woods for trees for his cooperage. I just love that as the name <laughs> of a business. And he spotted a band of counterfeiters affiliated with the, okay, Banditi of the Prairie, which is going to be my <laughs> drag name. Um, so they weren't just counterfeiting, um, which is like selling bad booze, uh, using bad script stuff like that um they also did robberies and other shenanigans so they they you know as you you like to say you know don't snitch but in this case they were kind of being giant assholes so snitch mm -hmm. um he observed them for some time before he reported them to the local sheriff so he was dotting his eyes and crossing his t's in 1849, he was appointed the first detective in Chicago and for Cook County. He also worked with the United States Postal Service um, to do, you know, kind of intelligence work for them. And in 1850, he joined Voices with <laughs> Chicago attorney Edward Rucker to create the Pinkerton National Detective Agency with the motto, We Never Sleep and an unblinking eye as its logo. They called their detectives private eyes. And we're going to post their old logo. It's fucking awesome. So did question, did they yes. develop that term private eye? Yes. They come up with that? Like that's, yeah. that's really cool. Because they were the all-seeing eye. That's awesome. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It was, it, I'm like, hey, you know, mm -hmm. that's not bad for the 1850s. Yeah. As the westward expansion continued, uh, train robberies were on the uptick, and Pinkertons were on the case. Through his work on train robberies, Pinkerton met Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> who was the Illinois Central Railroad's lawyer at the time. Don't know do what know he who, ended up doing. Do you, know, do you know who else was a lawyer for the inner the Illinois Central Railroad? Yeah, blew it, blew it, really. <laughs> When I said he was a lawyer, he was a That's lawyer who for it. For it. it all but I mean, these stories are tying this right is, together. Yeah. This is way after, not <laughs> yeah. way after, but right, but after, after. yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So, I wonder what happened to Lincoln. Weird. Um, he also <laughs> met George McClellan, who was a big deal uh, in the Union, as we will get to. Um, he attended meetings with John Brown and Frederick Douglass and provided clothes and supplies for Brown's eventual slave revolt and raid on Harper's Ferry. Um, the raid on Harper's Ferry is something, as, as all of us being educated in the South, we don't learn enough about. Um, so, I mean, I had heard of it, but I didn't really know what the hell was going on with it. Um, it's for another day. It's a very detailed story. It's a very interesting story. But yeah, John Brown was basically an abolitionist. He, um, I believe this was in Virginia, and he, you know, led a slave revolt, um, and it did not go well. So the suit John Brown wore when he was hung for the failed raid was actually one given to him by Pinkerton. Yee. So uh, wow. that's how deep involved Pinkerton was in the abolitionist movement. Um, he wasn't just playing. He was, he was putting his neck on the line. As the Civil War ramped up, Pinkerton thwarted an assassination plot against Lincoln in Baltimore. Guys, this is all coming together. 
and continued as his bodyguard and chief of intelligence services throughout the war. Pinkerton's agents worked undercover as Confederate soldiers. We'll learn more about that later. And Pinkerton himself would also go undercover several times as Major E.J. Allen. His work as intelligence service chief led to the creation of the Federal Secret Service. Um, And it's really interesting that his first sort of crime fighting was counterfeiting and that he also worked for the Postal Service because the Secret Service was initially made to catch counterfeiters. Um, That's why for the longest time it was held under the Department of Treasury because that's where it initially started. It only very recently got moved to the Department of Homeland Security because we didn't have a Department of Homeland Security for a very long time. Thank you, 9-11. So, but yeah, so the Secret Service initially, and now they even still like financial crimes primarily go under the Secret Service even now. Um, so it's kind of interesting how all of that kind of worked together. Um, after the war, Pinkerton returned to the train robbery beat, tried and failed to take down the outlaw Jesse James. He got close. He got close. He couldn't get there. (laughs) And after he couldn't get there, he said, fuck it. I'm quitting. (laughs) And you know what? I can't Is that a direct quote, Hannah? I'm sure it was. A Scottish guy who lived in Chicago. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain fucking I'm quitting (laughs) was was part of the deal. Um, Well, because he he tried to catch him as part of the Pinkertons. And then when he retired from the Pinkertons, he tried for two more years on his own and he just couldn't do it. Um, So he was like, fuck it, I'm out. So while Pinkerton was an atheist abolitionist after my own heart, he was staunchly anti-union. I tried to do some research into this because I'm very pro-union. He was very pro-labor, but the unions he didn't like. Hmm. So, and there there is an argument to be made um, in college in uh, Silver Fox Journalism Daddy, uh, Dr. Atkins (laughs) class, we did watch, remember the documentary about the um, the coal miners striking and yes. I think it was West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and been the, a long time since yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And the <laughs> union boss ended yeah. up being a crook and like yeah. killed the other union guys, family and all that shit. And I mean, unions have had corruption. Hello. Um, what's his name? Who we've never found. Hoffa. Every time I would clean my room, my dad would ask if I found Jimmy Hoffa. I have not. Uh, I believe the big rumor is that he is buried under the Detroit Lions stadium. I don't know that to be a fact, but hey, it sounds good. Let's go ghost hunt there. See if he's there. (laughs) Along with all the broken dreams of everybody in Detroit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I love Detroit. I have not been in forever. Um, but as soon as we're allowed to go somewhere other than Target, I'm going to Detroit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, unfortunately, he, the Pinkertons, especially after um, Alan left, would be critical in busting labor unions. So he, he, he was staunchly pro-working class. He just didn't think that the unions were the best way to do it. 
agree to disagree, but some of what would happen later with the Pinkertons and unions wasn't great. Um, And in his defense, that was after his death and that was his son's. So whatever. And in a critical contradiction to his previously expressed views, he was hired by the Spanish government to help quell a rebellion in Cuba that, among other things, would have abolished slavery in the island nation. Which, considering his extremely anti-slavery views, seems odd. In his biography, he claimed that he had no idea that the Spanish crown was going to let slavery happen on the island. But it's like, maybe you should check that box before mm-hmm. you, you know, sign on to quell a rebellion, you fucking asshole. <laughs> um, but Spain did end up getting rid of slavery in Cuba like 10 years after that. So whatever. I mean, it happened. It's just, it's not great. We've been fighting about Cuba for a while. <laughs> Apparently. Under his son's management after his death, the Pinkertons would engage in many bloody battles with labor unions on behalf of the government and corporations, including the Homestead Strike, the Pullman Strike, and the Ludlow Massacre, among many others. These union-busting activities would dramatically change the nation's perception of the Pinkertons for generations to come. It also led to the Pinkerton Act that made it illegal for the government to hire private detectives to do shit like murder striking workers alan pinkerton himself would die on july 1st 1884 the story goes he stepped off a curb wrong bit his tongue and got gangrene (laughs) however wet blankets throughout history have offered the counterpoint that he likely perished due to complications from a stroke he had suffered a few years before or malaria he contracted through his daring do in the south I prefer the other one of he bit his tongue and got gangrene. Whatever history. Stop. You know, if you have a chance to go between the legend and the truth, sometimes pick the legend. Yeah. You know, though, it's funny you mentioned malaria because I saw a TikTok the other day and we all know every single TikTok out there is 100% researched and accurate. Absolutely. Full of the truth. But it sounded kind of accurate to me. It was like, There have been so many billions of people who have lived on this earth and died. And like Mm -hmm. a third of them have died from something related to a mosquito. Yes. And I'm like, I I could see that. That's believable for sure. It really is. So, I mean, I could kind of see him getting malaria. It's not a sexy way to go, but you know what? Neither is biting your tongue and getting (laughs) angry. (laughs) Exactly. He's buried in Graceland in Chicago. Um, So he was, he died in 1884. He was born in 1819. So 65, not bad, not bad considering everything that he did, you know, not bad. Um, His impressive grave, it is a very impressive gravestone. It's very pointy. I enjoy it. It's pretty. (laughs) It's, you could tell that the, the plate was bronze and now it's got that beautiful green patina, which I love. So it bears the following epitaph in memory of Alan Pinkerton, born in Glasgow, Scotland, August 25th, 1819, died in Chicago, Illinois, July 1st, 1884, aged 65 years, a friend to honesty and a foe to crime. 
devoting himself for a generation to the prevention and detection of crime in many countries. He was the founder in America of a noble profession. In the hour of the nation's peril, he conducted Abraham Lincoln safely through the ranks of treason to the scene of his first inauguration as president. He sympathized with, protected, and defended the slaves, and labored earnestly for their freedom, hating wrong and loving good. He was strong, brave, tender, and true. I want to call myself a foe to crime. Yeah. I know. I like it. Um, I also like it when they refer to men as tender. That yes. I'm yeah. like, oh, I like that. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I love the old gravestones where they basically gave you their life story. Yeah. Right. Um, I also had to correct some spellings in this. Um, glass cow is not spelled that way. It's glass yeah. cow, not glass mm-hmm. cow. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's really interesting. And then it's just with with kind of everything going on right now uh, with policing in our country, it felt kind of weird at first to kind of be like, oh, we're going to look into a cop. But he was the genesis of a lot of different things. Um, You know, one of the things I took a big interest in in college was the history of the labor movement. Um, I have to thank my junior history teacher from high school, Mr. Osborne, wherever you are. I hope everything is going well for you. He was a wonderful egg-shaped man who is one of my favorite (laughs) teachers from high school, and I hope he's doing great. Um, But he really went into the history of labor um, in this country. I think that he's kind of responsible for my interest in Chicago because this is the site of a lot of the labor movement. Um, I just sent you guys the story about the Haymarket riots um, Mm -hmm. on May Day, um, so National Workers Day and stuff like that. And I think so the story has so many currents in it that are still relevant. So we're we're talking about labor. Um, Everyone say nobody wants to go back to work. It's like, well, because workers (sighs) are finally saying, go fuck yourself. Um, And, you know, I find the history of labor so interesting because it does cut across class or cut a cuts across a lot of various demographic signifiers that we may you know at the end you know labor is a commodity i'm trying to not get too commie about this but (laughs) (laughs) so he it's it's a weird dichotomy with him being really you know having a house on the underground railroad and working so hard for enslaved people, but then being anti-union. And like I mm-hmm. said, I could see, especially in the beginning, you know, the genesis of the labor movement of being really concerned with the power structures and stuff like that. But then his sons would go on to take his organization and they were just slaughter workers in the streets. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird how that kind you know, how policing moved. Um, we, you know, with these last couple of decades long wars that we have been doing, a lot of those have been private contractors. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, it's the, are we paying, you know, is this, yeah, the M word, what am I? Mercenaries. There it is. (laughs) I used another M word earlier, but it was not mercenaries. It was moist. Um, (laughs) You just triggered everybody. (laughs) Um, so, but 
you know, are we, you know, should governments be using private? And then what's the role of policing in settling these disputes? Um, we look at policing now with crowd control, where you had people uh, to bring it back, storm the fucking Capitol, mm-hmm. and all one died, one died. But they're tear gassing babies at Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the 60s, they set German shepherds on kids who were just marching in the streets. Yep. So, you know, what are it goes to like foundations of what are we policing in this country? And I think Alan Pinkerton had the right idea. I think policing um, to get slaves out um, and to protect the fucking president, which regardless of whether we like him or not, or the, you know, that we need to right. not have that happen. Protect right. the integrity of our financial system. Great. But that, like I said, then there's that dichotomy with supporting, you know, anti-labor practices. So it, it's interesting and it's funny that, you know, a hundred and, oh God, because his, death year was a hundred years before my birth year. Oh, a <laughs> hundred years and some change. <laughs> um, this is still relevant. It's still a conversation mm-hmm. that we as a country still haven't quite figured out. Um, so I'm, I, I do have, I believe I took a picture of his grave too. So uh, last time I was at Graceland, so I'll include that, but yeah, just an interesting guy, um, an interesting story. You know, I, I like an, asshole atheist as much as the next but yeah the (laughs) the union thing i was like oh come on my man well you know it's interesting too talking about you know us covering detectives yeah um and and yeah i mean obviously our policing system in this country is broken and um yes rooted in slavery yes rooted in white supremacy um all of that yeah And, and and I'm very much pro black lives matter and everything. Right. So I'm not trying to negate all that, but what I'm saying is at the end of the day, though, there are going to be people out here who go murder people. Right. And I want somebody to go get them. Right. Exactly. And that's not typically a beat cop who is out there, you know, busting people for smoking a joint. Like, yes. You know, stuff that truly at the end of the day does not matter. Right. But yeah, I do want a detective and I want one that's educated and I want one that's as not biased as possible, which is impossible practically because we're human and we're flawed and we're all biased. Right. But, excuse me, to me, I I think detectives are needed and investigators are needed. Prosecutors Mm -hmm. are needed. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know. It's one of those things of like, I don't want to say throw away the whole police department because yeah, basically, yes, do that. But also please someone go catch Ted, the Ted Bundy's of the world. Or right. And that's whatever. really the thing. And to me, and it's like, okay, so on 420, a friend of mine got busted for pot and it was in the most bullshit way. She was waiting for a friend at the friend's apartment, she was parked in the visitor's place. She was parked legally. Everything was fine. It wasn't at like some crazy time of night. It was like 10 or 11 at night. And the friend was supposed to come down and meet her. Well, her back bumper had been a little bit messed up. Nothing illegal. Nothing. That, it was just, you know, the cop came up and was like, oh, I noticed your bumper. Are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, oh, I smell marijuana. I need to search your car. Because yeah. he wanted a bust. 
on 420. And I'm like, who was protected and served by that? Nobody. And the marijuana that she had in the car was like a little bit of a vape that she had been using. So she was not actively under the influence or anything like that. So I'm like, and she's in nursing school. She's trying to like, she got out of an abusive relationship and all this. So she's trying to put her life together. And then, you know, and I'm like, who was protected and served by that? Yeah, absolutely. Fucking nobody, you know, it's like, and, but then you do have like the grim sleeper, like, um, the guy that was all over Mississippi who had killed some people. What was that? He died not that long ago. Samuel Little. Yes. Him who just is, is racking up bodies and y'all can't seem to catch him. But if somebody's holding a vape cartridge, you're up their ass. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the thing is like, and I'm sick of the, well, when somebody robs your house, you know, call a social worker. Right. Nobody's saying that. Nobody is saying that. Yeah. But like as somebody who has a brother with schizophrenia, and then I have a nephew on the autism spectrum who's going to be a big kid. And so I am terrified of if I see somebody in mental health crisis, I don't want to call the cops. No, no, I'd be terrified to do shoot people yes. who are having a mental health crisis. I do want to be able to have a mental health professional come out and talk them down. Right. You know, so there needs to be you know, when they talk about the defund the police movement and a lot of people, it's it's supposed to make you stop, but a lot of people mm-hmm. don't do the think part. No, And no, so they they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you just don't want cops at all. And I'm like, no, that's not what anyone's saying. No. They're, mm-hmm. And again, like going back to my friend who got, you know, busted for who was protected. Now you yeah. have somebody who never would have been in the judicial system in the judicial system. Yep. And it did not improve it's not going to improve her life it's not going to make the community any safer no so i mean it's not like she was out there selling it to the local six you know marijuana should be legal you know 100 anyway the board absolutely yeah no totally i agree and of course she was in tennessee so they're of course going to be fucking assholes oh god yeah but but that's my thing is just like you know, we do have the Ted Bundy's of the world racking up bodies. We do have the Samuel Littles. We do have, and then somebody posted on Twitter, is these serial killers aren't geniuses. They're just killing people we don't give a shit about. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's true. And and so many of them, in being white, mm-hmm. they 100%, um, they're, they're getting away with it a lot of times because they are white. Because mm-hmm. you don't suspect the nice you know the 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 white guy going down the street who maybe looks nice and has right. on, like i mean it was carrying Ted a briefcase Bundy or something wasn't like, even attractive or charming no he, just he was just white he, was he just, just white. didn't look like igor from fucking yes yeah. it's igor um, <laughs> from fucking frankenstein yeah i mean you know? they they are getting a lot of traction because of that and i mean i'm not saying that you know I don't know. It's like I'm not trying to sit here and like defend police or whatever. No, I'm defending. I, I mean no. This is this is but a can I of worms that it is. you know. It, oh yeah. We, we, there there could be a whole podcast dedicated. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. To discussing the ins and outs. Yeah, of this and, and actually, yeah. behind the bastards had a really good series on behind the police that really mm-hmm. kind of went into it. Um, and that's really, and again, it's completely different in states where they literally did start as a slave patrol. 
Right. Exactly. I mean, there are parts of the South where, yes, the cops were the slave patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will. And that's, I guess, for me, what kind of softened the blow with Pinkerton is that he was a detective. He was yeah. solving train robberies. He was, you know, protecting the fucking president. He was, you know, uh, spying on the South, which I am completely 100% mm-hmm. for. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I think that's really the discussion of, you know, you know, when we're talking about these detectives, it is really those people who are actually, I feel like, solving these big crimes and really contributing to the safety of the nation Mm -hmm. as a whole rather than like i said the asshole who just wanted a drug bust on 420 and so yeah actively ruining my friend's life yeah (laughs) okay blue who all right of pinkerton's pinkerton yes there's going to be a little bit of overlap here uh from hannah's story so very little is known about kate warren's early years or personal life in fact no one is really sure if kate warren was her real name um you know she international woman of well she she used multiple spellings different Hmm. versions of the name uh what we do know is that she was likely born in or around 1833 and by the time she joined the pinkerton national detective agency at the age of 23 she was already a widow oh oh okay right (laughs) did she kill him (laughs) right i don't know Oh, so, <laughs> I mean, that would kind of be a great cover to I be mean, a black yeah. widow and then be like, let me go join a detective agency. There's not. I'm not going to detect myself. Yeah, there's not a whole lot out there. So her, <laughs> the story goes that she saw a help wanted ad in her local paper. And so she entered Pinkerton Chicago offices to apply for the job. And she wasn't going to accept a secretarial position. She wanted to her. be a detective. Hell Yeah. So in his memoir, The Expressman and the Detective, Alan Pinkerton recalled that Kate said she could, quote, go and worm out secrets in many places to which it was impossible for male detectives to gain access. I don't doubt. Yes. Yeah. Don't doubt for a minute. Women, women, we can, we can do it. We get it done. Yes. So you flirt he, with a man, and then they're dumb enough to tell you all, everything. Oh, cool. y'all, wait, yeah. wait for it, <laughs> wait for it. So Pinkerton was so impressed with her pluck, he hired her as the agency's first female detective. In fact, she was the first female detective in the entire United States. Heck yeah. <laughs> So even though he was impressed with her, it would be two years before Kate would receive her first legitimate assignment. She was sent on a mission to Montgomery, Alabama to try and secure information related to the $50,000 robbery of the Adams Express Company, which, you know, I love to to do the math, is more than $1.5 million in today's money. Damn. So Warren... uh, I saw several different articles I read called her the Meryl Streep of detectives. Uh, (laughs) She loved a disguise. She was ready at a moment's notice. Uh, So she went down South. She befriended the wife of the suspected. Uh And that wife shared that her husband had indeed embezzled the money. Uh, And by the time Kate was finished, she had a successful conviction against the thief and she had recovered nearly $40,000 of the stolen money. Wow. Nice. 
After after this, she became Pinkerton's top embezzlement detective, busting thieves one after another using the same methods that landed her that first big case, befriending female family members of the suspects or posing as a secretary or maid. Clever. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I mentioned before, she could be ready at a moment's notice to go undercover. She amassed a collection of wigs and costumes, and she wasn't flashy. She could blend in with the people around her. Um, she would often go undercover as the wife or mistress of one of her fellow agents, including Pinkerton. But there is no evidence to suggest that she carried on any physical relationship with any of them. You know, there is some speculation that she and Pinkerton were having an affair because of how fondly he spoke of her. But sometimes men can be impressed by women and there's right. No the his- yeah, yeah. The yeah. historians that have researched both her and Pinkerton say that's bullshit. They just really respected one another as detectives. Um, in 1860, Kate was promoted to lead the Pinkerton Female Detective Bureau, where she would train new agents. However, she wouldn't be disbound long. When the Civil War broke out, she utilized her ear for accents and her acting ability to spy on secessionists. There we go. Throughout the southern states. And so, so here's where we tie back into Hannah's story. So shortly after Abraham Lincoln's election to president, Kate learned of a plot to assassinate the president-elect before his inauguration during his, and this would, uh, the assassination attempt was to happen during his whistle stop tour to Washington, DC. And most likely the assassination attempt would take place in Baltimore. He brought the information to Pinkerton (laughs) But Lincoln chose not to cancel any of his appearances. So Pinkerton Pinkerton concocted a plan to use a group of detectives to protect Lincoln at different points in his trip to D.C. And the Philadelphia to Baltimore leg of the trip landed in Kate's lap. Um, So here's just kind of a funny side story to this. Upon meeting Kate, Lincoln reportedly said, I believe it has not hitherto been one of the prerequisites of the presidency to acquire in full bloom so charming and accomplished a female relation. That's a mouthful. That's a nice way to say you're hot. Yeah. So her first impression of Lincoln was not so complimentary. She said, Mr. Lincoln is very homely and so very tall that he could not lay straight in his birth why everybody got up yes he was a tall gangly ugly man but that's how they make him up here he he couldn't fit in his little bed on the the train so how she did it she she disguised lincoln with a shawl and ordered him to stoop over because obviously (laughs) people were gonna know they did the bugs bunny they made him stoop over (laughs) and as they walked to their sleeping berth she loudly spoke about how glad she was to be bringing her invalid brother home. Oh, and the fact that she was speaking of his illness, people were like, yeah, I'm going to stay away from them. That's so smart. Uh, I like that. Yeah. So when Did the train you know Lincoln was like, God, you want me to watch 
Yes. It's like you're 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 a tall ape man. You need to kind of, you know, <laughs> you're tall hunker. and ugly. We got to wrap you up. Yeah, hunker down. Um, I kind of love this because I'm kind of imagining him being like, do you need me to cough? Like I can cough. And right. she's like, dude, I work alone. Like I got yes. this. They were full <laughs> on Bugs Bunny in it. Yes. 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 So when the train arrived in Baltimore, Lincoln remained asleep in the car while it was transferred to another engine that had been procured by the Pinkerton agents. Uh, the would-be assassins never got their chance to kill the future president, and Warren's work ethic led to Pinkerton to create a new tagline for the agency, We Never Sleep, and a new logo, A Giant Unblinking Eye. Because I don't think I mentioned this, I read it, um, she stayed up all night while he slept holding a gun and just sat there watching him. That's my that so cool. So yeah, We Never Sleep was because of Kate. That's okay. awesome. Um, so Pinkerton would go on to promote her to the head of a new section of the agency where she would train new agents in methods to protect high ranking officials. And that would go on to become the Secret Service. Hell yeah. Yes. So while her most famous case was the Baltimore plot to assassinate Lincoln, Kate was by no means done kicking ass and taking names. Good for her. <laughs> She was brought in to help investigate a robbery in Atkinson, Mississippi, that left a bank teller. Okay, something's wrong. I <laughs> I made a typo here because I the bank teller's name, George Atkinson. That's not right. His name was George. I don't know what his last name was, but it was in Atkinson, Mississippi. And so this okay. poor this poor bank teller named George was killed. Other agents, yeah, so other agents, they, they knew who the guy was who did it, but they couldn't get any, per, you know, any information that would put him away. And the uh, murderer's name was Alexander Drysdale. Kate stepped in and was able to befriend Drysdale's wife, and she convinced them both to confess to the murder and share where the money was hidden. Oh. Yes, so... Okay booyah on them uh so now this is my favorite so she also successfully thwarted a murder for hire attempt when she went undercover as a fortune teller named lucille okay (laughs) i like it (laughs) captain jn sumner who is identified as a seaman which anna (laughs) (laughs) uh, i know my role yes (laughs) he was convinced that his sister annie thayer and her lover who was only identified as Mr. Patmore, were trying to kill him. Through her efforts, Kate was able to not only prevent the death of the captain, but also secure a confession from Thayer that Patmore was also responsible for the death of his own wife. Oh, Oh. she got a twofer. Yes, she did. Unfortunately, Warren's life was cut tragically short after she could yeah, she contracted what was most likely pneumonia in early 19, 19, 1868. She died just a few weeks later, believed to be only in her mid-30s. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. Okay. She had no known family, so Alan Pinkerton had her buried in his own family plot in Chicago's um, Graceland Cemetery. Okay, so I'm going to have to check her out when I go Yes, she there. has a very nice monument. Her last name is spelled incorrectly. <laughs> of it, course. It's W-A-R-N and there needs to be an E at the end. I tr- tried to find sources to tell me what her uh, epitaph says. 
Uh, you cannot read it looking at pictures because it's a white stone and it's just. I'll I'll yeah, do some in-person sleuthing. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell what it says, but she does have a very nice headstone and she is buried uh, with the Pinkerton family because she meant that just so much to Alan Pinkerton that he oh, wanted her taken care of. Yeah. And that's the story of, of this badass bitch named Kate Warren. You know I what was they so say, live fast, die young. Yeah. True. Well, she did. I was, I was so scared you were going to say that she got malaria and I was going to be like, mosquitoes <laughs> again? <laughs> God damn it. No, no. She just, she oh. died uh, too young. Way too young. And we need a yeah. movie about her. Yeah. I know. So that's There's what I'm saying. I could see like Kate show. Beckinsale. Yeah. I could definitely see Kate Beckinsale. That, in that or role. like a, a limited series TV show or something yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. No, Get seriously. On. There's, there, and I there's, would love that. There's been nothing. She, like She's been mentioned in a couple of TV shows yeah. here and there. There's been some books written about her, but there's never been a movie. Right. I, I mean, sorry, I would love to but... see something about the Pinkertons, like just in general, too. Yeah. But yeah. also about her because that's a fucking fascinating story. The Look. the Lincoln story to me, I could I just I'm yeah. picturing this as a like slapstick comedy. Yes. Even I though definitely it, it couldn't I hear yakety sacks in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it wasn't because I can't imagine how scary and how much pressure and responsibility yeah. and all that. Like that's really intense, but part of me just wants to like make it into a comedy and and as I said, like have Lincoln be like, Do I need to well, call? Do I need to what do really I need to do? Goes to show because like I mean, he is eventually assassinated. Yeah. Just how yep. hardcore, you know. The, the angst against him was that was the mm-hmm. big thing with um it was one of those shows where they take a museum object and like give you the history of it um and for Lincoln for, I guess because everyone back then was basically hobbit sized <laughs> I mean we we only got tall very recently and that's because right. of the food supply chain being better and everyone having more nutritious food and yada yada blah 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 but he was tall i mean he was yeah. a tall dude oh and he, was he i believe okay side someone, yeah someone hit the goog machine all right i got my phone right here how tall you i know, had my Tabby, keyboard over there you're so sitting I can't... right there so you could have done this for me but instead six oh four. my god damn six four no that's tall even for now that yeah is tall yeah for no, now. That's so like... in the 1800s he was like a fucking int like <laughs> Yeah, that's like Vince Vaughn. Right. And he's like, and he had big hands because he's mm-hmm. a farm boy. And so. And big old ears. Yeah. He, I mean, he was just a big dude. Goofy ass so, looking dude. And so he had a local Illinois photographer take a picture of him in such a way that downplayed the size of his hands because apparently mm. that was something that people were freaking out about. And like really kind of made him look and of course this was like back in the you know daguerreotype days yeah Mm -hmm. so it's not like he could airbrush him or Mm -mm. so it was all like perspective yep yeah and that picture made you know like really smoothed out his complexion and you know de-emphasized the size of his hands and then they were like, without that picture, it's likely he would not have gotten as far into politics as he did. You know, I saw a thing here while back, somewhere on the internet, and again, and it's also know, possible that he was gay. I wouldn't doubt. 
I yeah. think that about, I think every man is, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> in one way or another, I kind of think everyone has that, um, that potential it's a either scale. way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think so. Either way, um, I watched a video on the internet. And again, I know the internet is always <laughs> a bounty of truth and knowledge, but it was like the daguerreotypes back then, like they made you actually look worse than you did. Mm-hmm. And so they showed how like Lincoln, you know, his face looks very poor, craggy, heavy, yeah. and craggy. Right. And they're like, he did not have all of those crow's feet and he didn't right. have um the big pores and all that, like his skin was actually better. It just, the way the lighting was and the technology, it just right. amplified mm-hmm. the there worst There used parts. to be a Tumblr and it might be on Twitter now called your daguerreotype boyfriend. Oh, I loved it. And yes. it was really hot guys that were if, daguerreotyped photoed back in the day. And I was um, like, somebody's granddad had it going on. If you want mm-hmm. to continue that same feeling, um, go to Hot Victorians on Instagram. Oh, okay. I'm going <laughs> to check that out. Yes. Praise Jesus for like, that one. There was the, and I'm sure you've seen it, the picture of uh, Joseph Stalin as a young man. And oh, I'm yeah. like, Damn, I would hit yes. that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Like, oh, like, this isn't good. All the murder <laughs> mayhem aside, get it. Um, right? Joseph. I was like, that is some groomed facial hair, my man. Yeah, yeah. Hot Victorians. A fun place to showcase some hot um, Victorian and Edwardian men. Some famous, some known unto okay. God. Okay, I'm... Listen, I'm, I'm adding that. I love it. And every oh. so often, there'll be like a bum... And you're like, oh, okay. So we just like, how'd they get one. a picture of him? No, no, no. Like actual butts. <gasps> oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I okay, butts. This I thought you from... meant bum like we were talking about last week. <laughs> nope. Like butts. Um, that's from January 30th. But there are some. Oh, my goodness. There are men. some. Hot... Oh, there's Dog. a dong too. But it's <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there, you might see the occasional. Um, there's also. Oh, this poor man does not. He is just. He's like, oh, my God. There's but... also a really good. If you're into just general history of sex, there's a really good. Um, Twitter account called Whores of Yore. I follow them. It is so good and interesting. So, I mean, it's a legit. I mean, there I, is I a get painting. It. There's one period of art, and I I don't know what period of art it is. Somebody smarter about art history can tell me all about it. But the boobs always look like they're just bolted on. <laughs> like there's no natural movement. They just took yeah. something vaguely titty shaped. You just put. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just the nipple like, just looks so tiny. Exactly. And I'm just like, has this, this man has never seen titties in his life because they don't look like that. And if yours do shut up and don't tell me. (laughs) So yeah, if you want to see some hot dudes from back in the day, those are two accounts I suggest. This is some good hair too. There's some excellent hair. Hot Hot Victorians Victorians. on Instagram. And yes, and whores of your on Twitter is hilarious. I love it. Yeah, that's a really great, um, it's a really great Twitter account. I mean, I think there's probably some people who want to follow it for the, some of it kind of is a little porny and um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of titties, but, but I don't, to me, I don't get that out oh, of yeah, it. Oh yeah, there are butts. I, oh, there are three butts. I think butts. it's, yeah, three butts. Yeah. Um, I, I just enjoy it because it's interesting to think about how people, have dealt with and depicted and talked about sex over the years because it's something that is so taboo you know in in a lot of ways but yet hey we had to have it to get here 
right everyone does it like i don't know i just think it's an interesting twitter account it is and that's the thing is just like you know we we act like certain phenomenons especially surrounding sex are brand new and it's like for example wop uh right you know there's dirty there's stuff in the bible that is similar i've read the songs of solomon i know what he was up to right you know he was there was he likened somebody's genitals to a donkey's at one point (laughs) so i mean mean, there's there's a lot of of yeah you know vagina talk in there i read it i was like oh is that what i oh it is and i actually follow since we're talking about social i follow um jagazus <laughs> that's his name it's gay jesus oh on twitter on tiktok yes, yes. i love and him. they were talking about how a lot of times you know the bible wrote things in code um not mm-hmm. da vinci code but you know yeah uncovering somebody's feet or washing somebody's feet is sometimes uh, means something else yes mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i love that that's that's the aphorism that they went with was yeah yeah i washed that bitch's feet um yeah. but or i took his shoes off you know and it's like yeah oh, very sexy oh, my word um, um yeah and i was gonna say too if you're on the um hot victorians for the passing of prince philip they uh-huh. showcase his grandfather okay um, the nazi and, and- or the non-nazi well, geez, I don't know, Hannah. I just know he looks kind of hot. Okay? Yeah. I, I think he is a good looking man. Okay. Look, I, I just would, said that I would, I would do things Joseph to that man. Stalin, so I can't yeah. say well, anything. I would do something to Prince Philip's granddaddy. McDuff, stop doing that. Oh, no, it's your cat's misbehaving. Not <gasps> this time. McDuff, I love him. I love him. He's a good boy. He just drives me bonkers. Okay, that's Valentine's Day. So hang on, I gotta find. Yeah, this is April eighteenth. Um, All right, my... y'all. <laughs> Shut Yo, up! I have to see if this guy is hot. Leave me alone. So we do. If you'd uh, leave us a review on iTunes, we would really love that. You can also follow us on social media. We are at. Oh shit! I forgot what we're called. Cemetery Row Pod. There we go. Where <laughs> you you can find us on social media: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. Oh shit! He was hot. Told you. I love how me and Hannah are horn dogs, and then Lori is. If you would like to find us on social media, <laughs> like Lori had this beautiful voice, like yes. like an angel, and Lori me and Hannah are like, look at this guy. She's not <laughs> interested. I, I, I know I'm going to be getting a text from Adam here in a minute. Are y'all done yet? Oh, Adam, we're creating. Adam, he, he's he likes to go to. He has an early bedtime, so well, um, I understand. I understand that too. Okay, oh, yeah, and um, yeah. be sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Yes. Thank you to our editor Derek and our musician Revenge Body for the music. Yes, um, thank you both. And thank you for we'll everyone you. who's sending us emails, who's sending us notes, yes, who's sharing our posts. We cannot appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this is something that we is keeping us sane through all yes. of this. So <laughs> Isn't it? We hope it's also yes. keeping you sane. And our next topic is going to be memorials um that were put up to mark a tragedy, tragedy. a human disaster. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. 
kind of a deep subject there sounds really sad and terrible but i think it's not going to be that sad okay it is it's going to be kind of interesting it's yeah there's going to be a lot of interesting information i think there's at least one part of my story you can laugh about i promise well okay all right (laughs) great laugh with us next time then y'all all right bye